Welcome to the Wizards of Dapps podcast, where we interview the creators of various decentralized applications in the Web3 ecosystem. We learn about how they are built and the insights that come from shipping. And we're your co-hosts. I'm Peter. And I'm Bethany. So thanks for tuning in. Today, we're sitting down with Ronil and Forrest from Audius. Welcome to Wizard of Dapp, guys. Hey, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. You're working on something pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, like I kind of like initially bumped into you guys, you know, on Twitter. And then eventually I talked to you, Ronil, like in real life. And, you know, I just think you're solving a really interesting problem. And I'd love to hear about what is audience, right? And, you know, what is the, I guess, the hypothesis behind that product? Yeah, for sure. So to give you kind of a high level explanation here is basically we help artists connect directly with their fans. Um, and we use crypto to make all of that work. So Audius is a decentralized audio hosting and streaming protocol. I think decentralized SoundCloud is, is a pretty good analogy. It breaks down in some areas that we can get into more, but that's effectively why we exist. And really the pain point we were solving was a very personal and visceral one that Horace and I both saw uh, so many of our favorite creators, especially on SoundCloud, but elsewhere as well, having their accounts taken down, being demonetized, being unable to share the type of content they want to share. So we felt there was a really uh, unique opportunity to create a censorship resistant place for audio online. When did the project start? February uh, 2018 was when we kind of like officially kicked things off. I think this is something that we had both been thinking about for a few years and talking about. And to be honest, we felt like the infrastructure in crypto was not quite there yet to support a use case like this. It was only last year that we felt like, okay, especially experimenting with IPFS, we felt like we could use this and, and make something that was usable for a normal like end consumer user not a i know normal is the wrong word there i think that's also something that's worth unpacking here so i I do think in crypto it's we all often think about and target the technical user because that's who we are right if we were the folks who got into involved in crypto in like 2014 2015 it's hard for a lot of our scene to understand how end consumers consume these things and that's something we've been really trying hard on here as well you're trying to create a decentralized SoundCloud. What do you think makes SoundCloud work? What do you think it make? why it's so popular and what makes it a great product? Yeah, so I think historically SoundCloud, you know, is a fantastic product because it really enabled small indie up-and-coming artists to kind of connect directly to their fans, uh, get feedback from the community, you know, publish works in progress, grow as an artist. And then for a lot of these folks, they would graduate onto a platform like Spotify when they would get signed to the label. But it was a great way to get discovered and build a fan base. But unfortunately, SoundCloud, their numbers, a handful of artists that we've spoken to, like their numbers are down pretty dramatically, just for a variety of reasons. And so now if you're an artist, it's extremely difficult to build a meaningful fan base on SoundCloud. I think they're about you know, 20 or 30% of this DAUs now that they had even back in 2015. So yeah, we're just trying to build a decentralized form of SoundCloud that really captures what SoundCloud was back in the golden era of like 2011, 2012. Uh, when there was you know, a lot more indie artist empowerment versus this sort of uh, centralization that you have now with Spotify and other 
large streaming platforms that are controlled by the majors. Would it be not a bad way to describe it as in, you know, large part of SoundCloud was, you know, the social network of itself, the fact that it was a shelling point for all these indie artists, right? And that in a way, you know, the problem is actually not a directly a technological one, right? But really like a social, I mean, right? I mean, all technologies for humans, right? In the end, but, you know, it's taking from that, right? You know, it's very, very hard to obviously bootstrap a social network and create a shelling point, of course, right? As you're building out audience, right, you know, you're about to do a launch, I guess, right? I think you're in closed testing stage, right? What do you think is really important to get right down at, at the, in the beginning when you're onboarding your initial users, right? Who are your initial users? That's kind of where it leads to, right? Yeah, so we're kind of in a private beta stage right now. The plan is to do a public launch into uh, this month, into September. And what we've been doing is in this private beta, doing very much of a sort of like slow white glove onboarding service, one off with these artists. And I think that's something that crypto as a, you know, as a general space has a really hard time with, which is, you know, spending an inordinate amount of your day speaking directly with people that are actually going to use the product, especially folks that aren't as crypto or technologically savvy. So we've been working through, walking through the product with north of a few hundred artists at this point. Uh, These are people from, you know, just a handful of followers on SoundCloud all the way up to hundreds of thousands of followers on SoundCloud. And it's really about like, you know, what parts of the product do you like? What things do you not like as much? And, you know, what are historically some of the features that used to exist there, especially when there was this much stronger social graph that maybe don't exist anymore that we could capitalize upon with audience. Right. But like, why are they talking with you guys, right? Because I mean, while the, the DAUs may be down, right, that probably is still the best place to go, right? What is their core motivation with like working with audience right now? Yeah, so I think a lot of it really comes down to the decentralization. It's this kind of notion of, I, I should back that up. We don't necessarily express it in that way. It's more of a artist platform driven by artists, developed in conjunction with artists and promoting indie artists at the forefront. I think there's this notion that right now SoundCloud has gotten a little too big in the sense of like a little too corporate. And it's really hard, even on SoundCloud, to make a name for yourself if the algorithms don't necessarily you know, like you or like your content. I think with Audius, it's a lot more of best content rises to the surface and will be naturally discovered via social graphs and, and a bunch of other things. And so we've been attacking this from like a you know, user growth perspective from a few different ways. A lot of it's been reaching out to SoundCloud artists. There's been a you know, major, major sort of positive reception from a grassroots perspective. And then we've also signed on a handful of big name artists to kind of attack this from a, a top-down perspective as well. So that we're able to represent all artists, no matter what scale they're at. My question kind of relates to if you think SoundCloud was this great thing back in the day, and they've obviously made some changes that may have decreased their user base or whatever, how do you prevent those kind of, I'm sure they believed were helpful updates, but have kind of led to their decline? How do you kind of avoid that? Or do you have a plan in place? I don't know that those changes were motivated on their end from a place of like, we're doing this to make the product better. And the reason I say that, and I think it's a really important point to make in that, like how we can be different from them is that a lot of their product in the last probably three years or so has been dictated by lawyers for the most part, right? And lawyers are not the best product people, right? (laughs) Uh, But when you have, you know, negotiations with the major record labels dictating the vast majority of your product decisions, it's kind of difficult to do things that serve the original audience of up and coming artists, right? So 
one of the things that's really important about Audius and that I think has resonated a lot with artists is a lot of the choices that SoundCloud made to promote bigger artists at the expense of smaller artists to promote their paid thing that ends up benefiting the major record labels far more than it benefits the up and coming artists. We're actually not capable of doing any of those things. If someone came to us and said, hey, you know, we want to get paid 10 times as much as everyone else does, which is the way that it works on Spotify and SoundCloud, where, you know, Warner and Universal and those folks get paid about 10 times as much per stream, we actually couldn't do it. Like, even if we wanted to do it, even if a court tried to force us to do it, we, we actually would not be capable. And I think that really resonates with artists, where this is something that they own, they control, that we are creating in a fully open way, and that via the token economy, we're able to capture some of the value of, but not in a way that enables us to rent seek and do these kind of negative things. But anyway, to get back to the core thrust of your actual question there, I think, unfortunately, you know, SoundCloud kind of succumbed to this pressure that most centralized music platforms eventually do, which is the major record labels are powerful. They have a lot of lawyers. They can drown you in legal, et cetera. You know, and SoundCloud was kind of faced with the choice to either play ball with those folks or shut down. In our case, we we actually are not capable of shutting audience down either, which I think is really important too, right? But you know, we feel pretty strongly that everyone should be earning the same amount per stream, right? Like all streams should be equal, as well as a number of other things that would just not be possible if you were centralized. Yeah, it's really an innovation on the business model side, right? Like, it's like you really can't actually, you know, abuse it. I mean, like, just going back to the the initial users, right? You know, like, I like, so Scent is, the so Scent, I'm not sure if you're aware of them, but, you know, they're a social media platform where, you know, uh, they allow users to kind of, like, post and seed other people's posts with money, right? So that you can actually earn a passive income by kind of seeding their social media posts. They're trying to really bootstrap the social a media network themselves, right? This initial community. And a nice way they framed the initial efforts was, you know, they try to make sense a place where people hung out at. And a large part of the efforts are, were, at least right now, around like how they can propagate existing social relationships, right, within the network that they have right now to deepen it, to widen it, and, you know, to form a strong core, right? Where in some ways, and the ways they're doing it, they're introducing group chat, personal messaging, right? Perhaps even creating groups uh, later on, and um, I'm just curious. You know, like you might have this initial uh, first believer or first follower community, right? But you know, what what's your strategy, and how do you want to cultivate the community around Audius? Yeah, so I think our our strategy there is actually pretty similar to some of the things you just mentioned, which is you know you start with early adopters and, and true believers, and I, I think those will be the folks that probably gravitate towards this into the month when we launch. But you know the product as it is really is almost like a, an MVP, minimal viable product. It took us north of a year to build this thing out, and it's because a lot of the you know very novel tech is on the back end. It's completely abstracted to the end user. To them, it just looks and feels like a normal sort of music player. I think what we then do from here, now that we have this base, is we work with a lot of those early adopters and we start to build out you know more engagement, more retention, a lot more sort of social features around, you know, group messaging, how do you get like group feedback inside of production groups? Um, you know, perhaps like if you're into one type of, of music, perhaps you, you speak with like-minded folks on Audius and post your works in progress and get feedback and all sorts of things that really 
create this community, which I think is what people are really lacking right now. And I, I think our thesis here is definitely aligned with what you mentioned earlier, which you know, we do believe that social features around a social music sharing product are kind of the killer feature here, right? And that's what Spotify has done such a poor job with so far. And SoundCloud used to fill that hole in the market, but SoundCloud, you know, we feel at least squandered their opportunity a little bit, their opportunity to lead there. And that's what's created the room for like a new a new entrant to fill that space. And obviously we hope to be that <laughs> that entrant, right? Cool. So you're talking to a lot of users right now, you know, and you have an MVP. As you onboard these initial users for your MVP, what are you looking for, right? You know, it's not a fully fledged, you know, product you've just launched, right? After an entire year of R and D. It is MVP as you said, right? You know, what are you looking for? that spark of validation, you know, what are you looking for, essentially? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting question. And I think more macro, anytime you get, you know, any user using a product at this type of development, um, you really need people that are more kind of like evangelical than anything else. It's not really what they're seeing now. It's what they can see the product being six months, a year, right. year from now. Correct. Um, and I think that's where the mission comes into play. Like, you know, as Renil mentioned, it's really about kind of building a decentralized audio ecosystem. I think I think that's where the early adopters truly, you know, see what we what we're working on and, and truly start to believe. And then they in turn rope in their networks and they sort of champion us inside of their Twitter groups or their Facebook message groups or whatever it happens to be. I, I think you need people that radically believe and align with your core mission prop, and then they go and tell their friends and bring in those folks who might not be as motivated around like the actual mission, but those people six months down the line care more about the product features. Just like advocating for your brand, basically. Exactly. Totally. Exactly. And I think you can also build competency in specific narrow niches and verticals, right? I, I think one of the things that... Certain jobs. Exactly, right? That made SoundCloud do so well is that they captured the entire early electronic music scene, right? Like as electronic music was blowing up, right? SoundCloud rode that wave from like 2009 to 2015. And then the kind of up and coming rap scene as well there. I mean, those are really broad, right? But there are specific niches within electronic, right? That like Future House, for example, like Oliver Heldens and all those folks did come up on SoundCloud, uh, whereas like Future Bass did not because SoundCloud's kind of clout when those folks were coming up was not where it once was, right? But mm -hmm. I, I think there are ways that we can, if we can pull together that community in a, in a very specific niche on Audius, you can kind of, as a genre breaks out and some of the people grow very famous, they will stay with your platform, right? So you mentioned a while ago, IPFS. My initial thought would be like a lot of buffering time, a little bit slow. So can you kind of explain how that works? For sure. So I hope you all try it and play around with it because you should vet the claims that we are making, right? But we do feel that a lot of the kind of engineering work and tweaking we've been able to do is like reduced a lot of that performance discrepancy you typically see with IPFS-based products. Um, and it comes down to like a number of optimizations that are, you know, I won't get into the full details here, but to touch on, on some of them quickly, it's just chunking up of tracks and aggressively prefetching like the first chunk of any track when you get to a page that includes it lets us like when you hit play you get that immediate okay my track started playing 
now that you've started playing that track, our client knows, okay, if you're starting to play this track, there's a likelihood you will need more segments. So these segments are five second chunks and, and they can be stitched together in the audio player to do gapless uh, playbacks. You don't hear the gap between them. I don't want to get too far into the weeds of how the storage layer itself works, but there are some interesting optimization we can do there to enable fetches to happen in a more performant way via both public gateways. And then as a fallback, you can actually go directly to the uh, so-called creator node in the audience parlance and fetch a segment from there if required. So you can like attempt to fetch via the gateway and fall back if it's taking too long. So in our case, we see uh, about 1% or so of fetches going via that fallback, which is pretty good. So in 99% of cases, we're actually able to get public gateway performance sufficient so that you don't hear gaps and see the spinner and that kind of thing. I was going to say, because I was using it today and listening to music and I didn't hear any of those interruptions or anything, it, it would be as if I was listening on Spotify or something. So Fantastic. We would love <laughs> to hear that. But that's what's really funny, right? It's like on our side, we'd onboard some of these very early artists. If you don't talk about the mission or anything, you know, you walk them through the product, they create an account, listen to tracks, and they're like, oh, cool. It's like more modern version of SoundCloud. Like, now what? <laughs> like, you know, fist bumping and like high-fiving. Right, right. It's like you got there. I think activation is hard. That's just a hard problem for any product. I wonder if you can actually use, you know, web-free primitives such as tokens or like, you know, some sort of like collectibles to engage and activate users, right? I don't know. Like one thing is quite, you know, within web-free in general, you know, we've gone past, you know, the stage of is crypto valuable and useful? Yes. It's like, you know, how do you build products around those experiences? For example, a lot of the uh, NFT games and crypto games have very high traction of maybe for the early adopter phase, right? But, you know, they don't necessarily struggle with retention. I wonder if that a small part of that is due to like the underlying aspects of Web3 itself, right? The contextualization that's enabled by like tokens and collectibles in general. I'm just curious to, if you have any thoughts around how to like increase high engagement, you know? And maybe you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole, maybe you don't. Yeah, I think that's totally possible. Thus far though, how we've been approaching this, I'm hesitant about trying to like force these sort of crypto paradigms on normal users. I think for at least, you know, the initial bit, it'll be more of a choose your own adventure, if you will. Look, if people want to do that kind of stuff, perhaps we build that out down the line. I think that makes sense. All sorts of fun NFT ideas we could do, right? You could have limited numbers of plays for tracks, you know, that you can trade and collect all sorts of, the mind can race and, and come up with hundreds of those things. Normal centralized services don't have to rely on those sorts of things to get good engagement and good retention. I would just be careful about using those sorts of ideas as a crutch in exchange for like proper like product development, if that makes sense. Those are really like, you know, high risk, just like potentially absolutely no yield product bets, right? Do you have capacity to invest into those or need that sort of like YOLO or like moonshot bets increase activation? You probably don't need to go down that path. One of the really cool things about Audius, though, is if someone else, like if you wanted to build an NFT thing that with this, you could, mm -hmm. right? It's fully open. Anyone can build anything that works with this protocol. Similar kind of thing, like we can't say no to that, right? Uh, whereas SoundCloud shut down their developer API recently. We can't. There is nothing to shut down. <laughs> I think that will be cool to see, right? I do hope other folks explore these types of ideas even if we don't necessarily have the capacity to write this right today. My mind's racing with like different ideas. And like the only reason I ever used SoundCloud was for electronic music. 
as I got older, I stopped listening to that and haven't used SoundCloud in years now. But even like, hey, I knew this artist before they were famous, that kind of thing. And if you can like tokenize that in some kind of way, I would be all over that. Like I listened to this song the day it was released and now it's being played at festivals and blah, blah, blah. Totally. It'll be fun to see. Yeah. Like as a form of social proof, effectively, you can... It's like use case of Web3. Yeah. Enable cloud. Tokenizing cloud. Yeah. <laughs> so the interesting thing is that you've abstracted all of crypto away from um, audience, right? I guess it's a strategy that's worked fairly well for, for example, Buns, right? Their philosophy was, you know, uh, building itself with like a crypto base um, user token, but, you know, completely abstract that out for users until we can... We're in a position to kind of expose that and enable users to manage the keys, right? Well, what's audiences like, you know, philosophy and, you know, approach behind that? Effectively, we want to abstract crypto away from the end user to the extent possible where they still get the benefits of decentralization, I guess, right? So that's a kind of a non-answer, but I can get into more of like what I actually mean by that. Basically, and this is where like our hedgehog wallet project and some other things come in. We think it's very important that users have custody of their own keys when interacting with these products, right? If you're all interacting with everything via Coinbase OAuth, is that really better than the Facebook OAuth world that we have today, right? I would argue, I think we would argue not really. Actually, this was how we originally came out across uh, MetaCartel as well. We use meta transactions very heavily in the product. So using this hedgehog wallet that effectively lets us generate a client side wallet in your browser based on your uh, username and password and persist it in such a way that you can sign into that same account on other devices, but without us having custody of the key, your browser can sign transactions and send them to uh, a centralized relay that we operate, which pays the gas for you and submits them on chain, but you're still maintaining control of your account through all of that, right? These patterns will become more robust over time, especially things like gas station network and other things abstracting that centralized relay portion of it. But we have enough primitives available to us in ETHland as a community to have our cake and eat it to some extent, right? Like we can build products like Audius that look and feel largely the same as existing products, but operate in a fully decentralized way. And I think we need to be able to meet that bar before people will really like care about the things that we're all building. I don't think it's reasonable to tell someone like in order to try listening to a piece of you know music online, you need to install this Chrome extension. You need to sign up for a Coinbase account, do full KYC and AML. You need to buy some Ethereum. You need to deposit it into this Chrome extension. And then, oh, now you can sign up. That's just like not reasonable. It's something that we can't say too many times, right? It, it feels like many people in crypto are not working on these existential adoption problems that need to be overcome for anyone to use the damn stuff. Yeah, I agree. It's like, you know, how do you make web free consumable? Yeah. And how do you make it easy for someone to show up for the first time and try something out without a whole lot of commitment? So you use a lot of meta transactions, right? How do you finance that on a large scale, right? Because if you are mainnet, and recently, of course, gas prices has been like, Jesus Christ, just hilariously like bad. And then meta transactions for most projects at scale aren't sustainable, right? So do you have any thoughts or you know, ideas around that for now? 
for sure. So the staking side of Audius is actually, it runs entirely on Ethereum, but the content registry side runs on uh, this thing called POA network that you guys have probably uh, come across. We made a trade-off there, right? Which was to accept somewhat more centralization in exchange for the faster confirmation times and vastly lower mass cost, right? I think we spent about like $50 of POA now on doing the confirmations for all of our hundreds of hundreds of artists and thousands of tracks. That's not a long-term solution, but it lets us get a lot further. Much longer term, that gets into a lot of kind of high-on-the-side thinking on our side. Um, And this is where I think the rubber will kind of meet the road for ETH 2.0. And based on the current like landscape we see around us, our current like operating plan, I would say, you know, extrapolating five years out from where things are today, I would likely see us being either kind of a Cosmos zone, like our own little blockchain that's built on the Cosmos SDK or running with Substrate and possibly being part of Polkadot, right? I think that would enable us to do certain transactions like for free on chain. Like if the people who are operating validation infrastructure are are monetizing in a different way from on-chain fees, there are ways that you can make certain actions free to users so long as the other ecosystem participants are able to earn enough to sustain themselves. Some of the dApps right now that I've been talking to are thinking about, you know, like because meta transactions are ultimately unscalable and dApps in general, it's, it's hard to monetize them, right? Because they're mostly, if you think about it, they're mostly free to play unless you're really DeFi. Some dApps have been thinking about, you know, perhaps we can actually monetize these dApps using ads where the users actually pay for their own meta transactions, right? Similar to how like, you know, uh, Brave, you pay for to not see ads or in this case, you know, some of the dApps that I've been talking to I'm thinking of like actually implementing ads where non-cryptic users who need to perhaps do a transaction, right, on-chain, you know, may need to actually just watch a, you know, like a five-second ad or something like that, right? There's NFT games where they need to actually settle the, they have like um, mainnet transactions, but they have, you know, the NFTs, right, on Loom network. And to settle, right, NFTs from Loom to the mainnet Ethereum, right, there's a settlement fee, right? That is actually quite costly at scale. So they're like, hey, what if you just like make users do via ad, right? But even better, what if you can actually go into crypto native ads, which is a different story, right? Different rabbit hole. That's also a, just like a topic of discussion a lot of people have been talking about, but just like not discussing actually. Yeah, it's something we've actually discussed quite a bit like internally as well. So it's cool to hear that folks in the community are, are thinking about this too. I think there's a really cool opportunity there to basically you're effectively monetizing someone's attention rather than paying, right? It's like either I can pay for this by giving my attention to things or I can pay. Uh, it's, you know, Brave, Brave's model, like exactly, right? It could be really cool. When we've run a lot of the numbers on this, it like doesn't quite actually work out. If you look at the like basic ad CPM rates and what that would cost in like ETH gas today, it just like doesn't square up. If those gas costs could come down by a factor of like 10 to 100, I do think uh, that would work really well. And when we've run those numbers, it works. But that's making some assumptions about like what ETH 2.0 will enable. Or increase CPM by a shit ton. Yeah, yeah. Right, like either that or that. But if you think about it, like even now, like with crypto people, like 
this is a highly valuable audience, actually. You know, people are just throwing money all over the place. It's a cack for a person to like sign up for a bank account. You know, like so as a customer of a bank, the sounds like LTV is like a lot of money over someone's lifetime. I think like I've heard, heard of the numbers where it's like 82, $100,000 or whatever, right? Or even more. That's nothing if you can capture them, right? And what do we have here? Decentralized banks and, you know, people roaming around on the internet throwing around value. That's just like one of the uh, half-baked ideas that I do like think about. Yeah, for sure. You're right. Like credit karmas, if you acquire customers by credit karma, you're paying like $800 plus per customer and banks are willing to pay for that. I don't know, man. Maybe Coinbase or someone else will will be like <laughs> just like Coinbase ads everywhere, like yeah. Binance, it's like yellow and like blue, like blue, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. Just to throw in my two cents here, I mean, I think it's good, you know, folks in the community are thinking about this, but to my knowledge, I, I haven't heard of anybody drowning in DAUs and they just can't afford the medical transaction. In, in certain cases, you know, people start to put the the cart before the horse. Like, just build something viral. I think it was, uh, I forget, it was probably an Andreessen quote or something like that, but it was, you know, something to the effect of if you need money because you're burning through all of it because the servers are on fire and like you just have people using the product, it's easy to raise money there. I just think you probably need to focus on building something people want. I don't know, bootstrap with meta transactions or whatever you need to, and then cross that bridge when you get to it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that people kind of forget sometimes. So you guys are launching soon. Yes. End of the month. Very excited (laughs) about it. After launch, what's on the roadmap for that? So we uh, launched the Audius testnet uh, just before we were in Berlin, actually. So we need to keep marching forward on making those interactions more robust leading up to the mainnet. So one of the things that's like a little bit strange about Audius is we do have a DAP product, but there's this kind of underlying protocol for content replication and content management more generally. So there's a lot of work to go there on the crypto side. And then there's a ton more product features that we want to work on. I mean, I think next quarter, I should say, you know, now through the end of the year and early into 2020 from a product side, it's a lot of the stuff we touched upon earlier around social and kind of community building. A lot of, you know, letting artists connect with other artists, connect with their fans and get feedback on tracks and grow their craft. Cool. I think um, that kind of wraps it up for us this week. Any other thoughts or comments? We already touched on the launch, but for any folks listening who are uh, into hearing new bleeding edge music, come on Audius, check it out, send us some feedback. Uh, We'd love to hear it. We're really excited to see what you all think of this. The website is audius.co. And we will be out live publicly end of September. So thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. If you enjoyed what you listened to and are interested in supporting this podcast, then please follow us on Twitter at Wizard of Daps. The show notes will be on our website. And if you want to continue the conversation, join our Telegram group. All links will be in the episode description. Thanks for listening.